is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. Hello again, welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Conversations with Saruti slash Prospects After Dark slash uh, Dirty Flirty List Extraordinaire with our resident, uh, what did we call you, Not Cotton-Headed Ninny Muggins, uh, mm-hmm. Kyle Reese. Kyle, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, bud. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Had had a fun day at school, and, and I'm ready for this tonight. This is going to be good. Um Tonight we have for you uh, a list that is going to screw me up even more. Like, uh, so I've already had trouble keeping at least three of these pitchers straight, even though two of them were in the same draft and one wasn't. But I keep putting him in that oh, draft instead of Logan Gregg. And when I remember Logan Gregg is in that draft, who we're not covering tonight, mm-hmm. I get him confused with these guys. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I don't know if this is going to make me more confused or less confused, but uh, I, I need to put in a humble request that next year there needs to be a separation of these right-handed pitchers because I can't do it, Kyle. Uh, yeah, I agree. I'm, uh, it's funny. I don't even know who these prospects are, so this will be fun. Oh, okay. Sweet. Uh, flying off the cuff tonight. Uh, Kyle night. must have lost. Kyle, Kyle lost his big board, I guess, and uh, we're going random. <laughs> yeah, this one's got kid drawings on it over here. And that one's that one's I don't even know what this is anymore, Ben. Honestly, that's just <laughs> words and names and half of those guys don't even play in the organization anymore. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, so what Kyle's trying to tell you is at 25, we've got Tyler O'Neill. At 24, yeah. we've got Dylan yeah. Carlson. At 23 is Delvian Perez. At 22 is Yadier Molina. And at 21 <laughs> is Ricky Coinside. No, I'm that's it. Kidding. All right, so Alex. the real list, uh, we love you, Chris Foley. The real list for tonight is a catcher at number 25, a catcher named Julio Rodriguez. Um, if you want to look him up on Fangraphs or Baseball Reference, he is not the uh, number whatever, one, two, three prospect in the entire league that plays for Seattle. It's Julio E. Rodriguez. E. Uh, That's it. I 20, couldn't remember. Go on. Sorry. A 24-year-old catcher for the Cardinals system. Uh, e. That yeah. should totally be his nickname now. Um, the 24th prospect is what I put down as a utility man in Chandler Redmond. And then three pitchers where I get confused. Number 23 is right-handed pitcher Jack Ralston. Number 22 is right-handed pitcher Jake Walsh, and number 21 is right-handed pitcher Andre Payante. Now, I feel like with Payante having the year he had, getting into the AFL, the Arizona Fall League this fall, I might have a better chance of keeping him straight at this point. Um, but the rest, we shall see. Um, 
Do you have any opening statements about just this group of five? What what, what do we have in for us tonight? No, a lot of pitching. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll end on Andre Payante. And, uh, you know, he's he's going to be a name that you're going to hear a lot this offseason uh, and a lot in spring training, regardless of if it's minor league and major league or just minor league spring training. Uh, he He's a fast riser because specifically about what happened in the AFL, but also he has some good pitch data uh, to back it up. So uh, yeah, let's get started. So the first number uh, prospect, number 25, that we're going to get to in this episode is Julio E. Rodriguez. Uh, go figure, this is the Cardinals we're talking about. So, of course, there has to be a catcher on this grouping. Um, you've said time and time again two things about Julio Rodriguez, besides the fact that you just love the kid. The first thing that I remember reading each and every year about him is that he's likely the best defensive catcher we have. And this year you added in, he might be the best at the major league level, not just the organization. Um, the second thing I remember reading each and every year is that he pro- he's probably just organizational depth, but that you love him in that role. How much does the, just, just, I've got like four different questions about him. So how much does this guy help the pitchers? the growing budding pitchers in this organization. Now he's legitimately great. Like he's legitimately great. He is a great defensive catcher in every conceivable way. Uh, he's great side to side. He's great in the dirt. He's great at pitch calling. He's great. Maybe, you know, maybe the one area, and I don't even know if this even matters anymore because of pitch clock and like, uh, 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 and also uh, mound visits. Uh, you know, you don't really see him go out and like visit the mound or like Avon Herrera, you'll see go out and talk to the pitcher and like screw around, like laugh a little bit. I remember one instance where he went out and talked to Daniel Ponce de Leon, pardon me, Daniel Ponce de Leon, while Ponce de Leon was rehabbing at double A and Avon Herrera went out there and like screwed with him and got Ponce de Leon to laugh a little bit. And, uh, but like, that's not, that's not Julio Rodriguez's game. He sits behind the, the, uh, the, the home plate and calls a great game. And he makes up for slow pitchers uh, by not having to move any part of his body except for his arm to deliver a missile down to second base. Uh, and he frames really well. He's not as good at framing the lower half of the zone as Yvonne Herrera is, but I think he's better every other aspect of the zone. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get to watch Yadier Molina at the minor league level. Uh, I, I don't know what that looked like. Uh, I, you know... I, I I can't say. Uh, I was down there once in Springfield to watch him. I don't really remember it all that well. I was 16 years old or 15 years old at the time. Uh, uh, Julio Rodriguez, every game, is the best defensive catcher on the field. And, and it's not close. I, uh, I don't know how you could possibly make uh, – he's the best defensive catcher I've watched in the Cardinals organization uh, the, at the minor league level. You know, he's not Yachty when Yachty was Yachty. Uh, or even when Yachty was coming out of Yachty or becoming Yachty. He's not that. That, that was something different. Yachty's, uh, he's on a whole different level. But this is the next stage. This is like the next stage down. And that's, that is very valuable. In my opinion, that is 26 in the organization valuable. Uh, 25 in the organization valuable. So, uh, that's yeah, that's Julio Rodriguez. Where do you see him starting next year? He's ended the last two minor league seasons, 2019 and 2021, at double A. I think it just depends on how everything shakes out ahead of him. Um, you know, Dennis Ortega isn't in the organization anymore. And, it, you know, my guess, it, it all depends on what happens with Ali Sanchez and Andrew Kisner and, uh, and how all that ends up going. 
But, you know, my guess would be that uh, uh, my hope would be that the Cardinals view him since he's a little older, uh, that they say. And again, you know, he's still Rule 5 eligible. There's always a team that could, uh, if the Major League's portion of the Rule 5 draft ends up going off when the lockout ends, there's always a chance that he ends up being added to some team's 26 man. But if that doesn't happen, um, I, I would like for the Cardinals to get aggressive and have him at AAA, even if that means cutting into Avon Herrera's time while Avon Herrera is there, because I would assume that Avon Herrera is at AAA all season. Now, I also want to say that uh, if he does start at AA, I'm fine with that because he's missed so much time over the last year. Uh, 2020 aside, the COVID thing aside, 2021, he missed a bunch of time recovering from a Hammond injury uh, uh, and um, got going, shut down, got going, shut down, got going, uh, that I'm perfectly fine with him starting at AA. Uh, and I don't like, I, I guess I just really don't care if it's a double A or triple A. It'd be fun to see him at triple A, but, uh, if it's at double A, it's fine. He, he's kind of a tweener in that regard. Where do you think the Cardinals are going to place the pitching that could use oh, him man. the most? I mean, the double A or triple A arms. Yeah, no, I get below you. there. Well, you know, I would I'll say double A, and the reason I'll say double A is because uh, development's important. More than likely, the guys who are at triple A are guys who have made it through important stages of their development or are beyond uh, developing, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'll always hedge and say that there's there's more development to be had at double A than there usually is at triple A, um, just based on you know the standings and the ladder and moving up from low A to middle A to high A to uh, to double A, you know, double A is a very important part in, in, of a pitcher's trajectory uh, and development. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say that if you're going from that angle, Ben, that double A would, would make a lot of sense. Last question about Rodriguez is, does he, do, do you feel this is a guy that can just do it? Or do you feel like this is a guy that he could end up sticking around the system and being a coach if he doesn't, if mm. he doesn't make that final step to the majors? Ben, I get I get so tripped up by the could this guy be a coach? Uh, yeah, like I think he I think he could. I I think that um, a lot of the nearly all these guys could be coaches. Uh, it's just a matter of how many of them are humble enough to accept uh, a teaching role. As you know, as a teacher, like there's a certain amount of humility uh, that comes with being really good at that craft, and that's the same thing that comes with being a coach. In my personal opinion, it's not only knowledge, it's not only experience, it's not only wanting to train the next generation or teach the next generation. It's being humble with your own skills. Um, I don't know enough about him to, to be able to elaborate on that. I think he's that kind of guy. I know that I know pitchers adore throwing to him. Uh, I know that they think that they can relax a little bit on the mound. Um, and I think he makes pitchers better, but you know, some people just don't have that coaching gene in them. Uh, you right, know, right. So, so I, I don't know. I, I think he's smart enough baseball wise that, that he could coach, uh, but uh, you know, the first part of your question there, he's just got it. He just has it. He's devoted to it. Uh, and whatever type of offensive production he might end up giving, uh, man, I got to tell you, if, if this guy would have been around from 20, 2008 to 2017, um, I, uh, I would have been fine with him being Yachty's backup and playing, like he's he's Tony. Think about it this way: worst case, not worst case, most likely case scenario with Julio Rodriguez is that he's Tony Cruz, but can actually play defense, uh, can actually catch. Yeah, Cardinals could have used that guy. 
Yeah. Uh, for 20 years, I could have used that guy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, the next guy on the list is the only other position player prospect we're going to talk about. He's the last guy on the list uh, for tonight that I won't get confused about, probably. Um, number 24 is Chandler Redmond. Uh, he's an infielder and an outfielder. Um, seems much better as a second baseman and third baseman. Uh, sorry, second baseman than he is as a third baseman at this point in his progression. Yeah. Um, I'm going to jump in. I wrote that wrong. Sorry. Second baseman and third baseman than he is as a corner outfielder at this point in his progression. Yeah. Let's just jump right into defense. We'll get into offense here in a second. The deal with Chandler Chandler Redmond is he's a 32nd round pick out of Gardner Webb. Uh, He played second base there a lot. He played third base there a lot. He's a big boy. He's like six foot two, 240 pounds. Uh, He's country big, country strong. And you would think because of his size, nearly every organization in baseball would say, all right, that's not a second baseman. It's probably not a third baseman either. He doesn't have the quickest feet. He's either a left fielder or a first baseman. Uh, I'm here to tell you that he is he is a, a really, really solid defensive second baseman and a really, really solid defensive third baseman. And because he doesn't have the reps in the outfield and he doesn't have the reps at first, even though those are the positions that he profiles best at physically, uh, he's by far a better defensive second baseman and third baseman than he showed at first and in the corner. Now, I do think because of what I've seen out of him at second and at third, uh, I, I do think that there's potential at first. But there were some brutal moments at first base, specifically on fly balls um, and specifically on fly balls in the in foul territory uh, that you just can't do when you're at that level. You know, I, th- I think most people will look at him and say more than likely he's a DH. But I, I know enough about this young man to know that an offseason worth of work at whatever position he's going to end up working at is going to go a long way for him. Uh, he's, he's a smart kid, a talented kid, uh, a, a great kid with a big heart. Uh, who is it was definitely dedicated to the sport once to get as good as he can. So talk to me about besides his size, why is he not just another Max Schrock? Oh boy, it's a power. I mean, the the big the big difference there is the power. Now they both swing left-handed. Uh but you know Schrock I guess the, you know Schrock Schrock's swing was weird. You know, there were a lot of nubbed ground balls and, and a lot of like lofty flyouts with him. Mistiming, yeah, he just he's just small, you know. I, I hate to be that okay. way. Bat, he didn't have the bat speed and his swing path, you know. It just he could make contact and he's always made contact and he couldn't strike out, you know. He didn't strike out a lot, and it, it all just kind of like when you get to the upper levels, if you if you don't have a little bit extra, you, you, you die out. That's just how it works. Whereas Chandler Redmond has a little bit more of a flat swing plane, and while it looks like he's kind of swinging with one arm a lot, that's because. It's like it's purposefully purposefully long in the zone. Now, he strikes out a lot, way too much. That's the big issue. Uh, they, it's controversial to have him 25th on the list or t- wherever I have him. He was 25th. Now he's 24th. 24th, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because a plumber, these assholes. But uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, so. We made know, it through the entire last episode, I think, without mentioning him. I could be wrong. We came close, Ben. Oh, boy, did we come close. I almost brought him up when we were talking about Jan Torres and Oscar Mercado <laughs> and players coming into their <laughs> – I almost did as well. Yeah, uh, but and, but anyways, um, it'll be controversial that a kid with a thirty percent strikeout rate in Chandler Redmond, who is bulky and maybe has some defensive uh, questions at positions where you would project him, is the twenty fourth prospect on this list. And I understand that, uh, especially with some of the guys who are behind him that we talked about, like uh, Austin Love and 
uh, Ryan Holgate and, you know, Matt Kaperniak, all those guys we talked about last. Uh, but the, the, the truth is his swing is so good. And he does so much damage to the left center field gap as a left-handed bat uh, on a line drive. He smokes baseballs. And he never, he never sunk. You know, he went through a bad phase at Peoria before he was pro- uh, promoted to Springfield. And he never really looked uh, overmatched. He just didn't look comfortable. Uh, and then when he went to Springfield, sure, so he had like a 30% strikeout rate, but he walks enough. I I don't know what the fix is with him. Like, he's one of those guys where I can't find the fix. I can't say, all right, uh, he needs to be shorter in the zone. All right, he needs to be more selective. He needs to get better against lefties. I mean, that's the big thing. Uh, they, where, where most of his damage is done, uh, most of the damage against him is done is by left-handed pitchers. But in the past, in college, uh, and again, college is whatever, and then uh, – uh, at, in, during the 2019 season, he showed the ability to hit lefties, even if it was an increase in power that came with a compromise in on-base percentage, strikeout raise, uh, and in batting average. Like that power is there to still hit lefties, and if he can do that, even if he's striking out 30% of the time against lefties, that makes him more valuable. I I don't know. I just I know how good he can be at defensively at second base. Uh, again, look, he's not a showstopper at second base. He's not going to go dive in around. He just has a feel for that position. Same thing kind of goes with third. He's not going to go diving around. He's not a big uh, athletic kid that's going to wow you. Um, but he's also not as poor as you would think for somebody of his size, not even remotely close. Um, so, yeah, I just look, I, re- I just really like him. I don't know how to, ex- I, you know, sometimes I'm wrong. This is probably. You know, probably one of those situations where I'm wrong. I'll, I'll be honest. I think I might even have written that down. Uh, but if if he's the kind of guy who can hit for the power that I know he can with that line drive stroke to left center field and right center field, but also hit moonshots over scoreboards and right center field like he has, um, I, I, I could envision a situation in which he is a very valuable bench bat for a couple of years with substantially more upside. Looking at the stats, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. He's a guy with 608 plate appearances to his name in the minor leagues. 2019 rookie ball after being drafted. 2021 at High A, Peoria, and Double A Springfield. He's he's a guy who's already got 32 doubles and 30 homers in the minors. He's a guy who has already scored over 80 runs. He's a guy who's already driven in nearly 100. Um, he he he's got the minor league numbers of a middle of the order bat uh, when he can connect and when he can hit well. But last year his strikeout percentage, as you alluded to was 35 ish percent. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't always hit a lot of line drives, but when he does, he's going great. Um, when he's hitting more fly balls, it seems like he's hitting a bunch more homers. It doesn't seem consistent yet through the numbers at least. And, 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 and that's kind of what you're getting at there. Um, yeah. I will say this past year, he did play. Uh, oh, this is not sorted correctly, but he played uh, 16 games at first. Uh, sorry, 34 games at first between the two levels. He played 10 games at second. He played 16 games at third. He played 19 games in left field. No, 23 games in left field, yeah. one in right field. So kind of all over the diamond. Uh Last question about Chandler Redmond. Do you feel like being a utility man is taking away from his ability to be a good, as a better defender than he is? Or do you feel like it's going to help him in the long run to be able to be 
competent at all these different locales. Well, it'll help, you know, it'll definitely help us chances to be a major league contributor or to ride, continue to rise through the ranks. No doubt. I just, I wish that there was a little bit more of a plan for a guy like this. You know, I, I, my hope is, and I don't know for sure, but my hope is that the organization relayed to him that, Hey, look, uh, you're going to continue to play first and you're going to continue to play second and third and left field specifically. And you need to get as good at all of those positions as, as you possibly can this off season. Uh, you know, I, I think that in, there's a realistic chance that in his mind entering the season, he was going to get a lot of reps at second and third uh, and then was spending a lot of extra time at first base uh, where maybe that, that wasn't necessarily a part of the plan initially. I uh, can't really say for sure, but um, I, I, that's, that's what I think. Yes. Uh, all of these guys, every one of these guys, even Nolan Gorman, uh, even Jordan Walker, the more position versatility they have, especially with the Cardinals, uh, the better. Yeah, and then you know, true. But that, like, so the yeah. Cardinals do. No, Mike. They're Schultz. one of the few organizations in the majors that appreciates the defenders that excel as yeah. well. And so, having versatility is great. But if you are Jairo Munoz at those positions, you're out of the organization pretty quick. I mean, he kicked himself out. But I feel like those guys who who excel at their position tend to stick around a little bit better. And maybe that was just under Schilt. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, to your point, Paul DeYoung worked hard to become a uh, gold glove finalist um, <coughs> defensive shortstop. And here we are. The organization sounds fully committed to him, even though he's gotten worse and worse for three straight years. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move from the position player side to the pitching side as the last three prospects we're talking about on this episode are pitching prospects, all right-handed pitchers. The first of uh, what I'm going to call the confounding three, because uh, I'm still wrapping my brain around it, is Jack Ralston. He's at 23 on your list. He's a right-handed pitcher who threw at UCLA in college. He was drafted in 2019. He really shined in his senior season there. He had a lot of strikeouts, only a few walks, not many hits, went semi-deep into games. He made his debut at the club, did so out of the pen because he'd already thrown 101-plus innings. Um, But he basically pitched how he'd thrown at UCLA with a lot of Ks, only a few walks. This year, he really upped his K rate even more, but like everyone else in the organization seemed to do, he, he upped his walk rate greatly as well. Um, So like everyone else, he, in the organization, we talked about this the other night, how he was both a reliever and starter at different points this year. He had that K rate that was great, but the walk rate, like we said, was, was all over the place, like many others this year. Tell us more about, about Ralston and, and you can kind of relate that to a bunch of the organization, I think, potentially. Yeah, all of those things click. All of those things are broad statements that you could say about a lot of the pitchers in the organization. Yeah, you you nailed it. Ralston, where Ralston's different is uh, his size, right? He's like six foot seven, and he throws very much over the top with an explosive lower half and upper half delivery. Uh, and he throws a curve that gets on hitters quick. I, I saw data earlier in the year that had his uh, his curve as like a twenty eight hundred RPM pitch. That uh, is is no longer that. Uh, it's it's more in like the twenty four hundred RPM category, um, but this is where the eye test and the pitch data uh, really come together. 
because when you're coming over the top as a six foot seven pitcher and you also throw a potentially elite changeup, which Ralston did uh, uh, from a profile standpoint in 2021, even though he still has command issues, which we'll get to here in a second, it's it's a very tough pitch to pick up and it definitely plays above its grade. While we're on repertoire, does he throw a four seam or a sinker? It's a four seam. Is he with that fastball and changeup coming up over the top? Is he kind of the Michael Walker mold? More so, I would say that he's more exaggerated because of how he ex- he extends uh, and how he explodes out of his delivery. Like it's a it's a whole different beast. Uh, okay. Now it, the three pitches are very similar. I think he has a better curveball than Waka really ever showed and I want to see him use it more you know one of the things about 2021 from 2020 or from 2019 rather uh getting back to his time at UCLA and also uh pitching after being drafted in the organization is he threw his curveball less in 2021 than he had in the past he went change up more because of how many swings and misses that change up got it it's a hard pitch to hit there isn't a whole lot of contact going on with it and uh you know, he it just mixes so well specifically with his fastball. Yeah, to that statistically, um, in 2019, he had a just a 135 batting average against. And this year in 2021, um, that was at low A. That was at uh, short season State College before they went defunct when the pandemic. In 2021, he was at high A Peoria and he had a 170 batting average against. So yeah, tough to tough to square up. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, his fastball's mid nineties uh, because of that energy that, that he throws with. Um, I, I do understand the arm angle. I do understand why he's his most likely role long-term is as a relief pitcher. Uh, but for me, if that is the case, if that's how the Cardinals view it, then uh, no reason to spend all year at Peoria uh, and, and more so in 2022, even with this command issues, um, the increased walk rate, there's no reason for him to not be at Memphis by the end of 2022 uh, knocking on the Cardinals door. If he is, if he's striking out 32% of people and still walking 12% of people like, sure. I want that walk number to go down. I, I want it to be below 10. I want it to be five or four, or six or seven or eight or whatever. But even then, like as a relief pitcher doing what he can do, um, I want them to be aggressive. If, if they are going to commit to him being a relief pitcher, which has always been the case since he was drafted, it was always the elephant in the room. Then do it and do it aggressively. Uh, where where Ralston gets in trouble is, man, he can get ahead of hitters, and he, it's like he almost doesn't trust his stuff when he gets up o two or one uh, two, uh, and then all of a sudden it's a deep count. He he wastes pitches too much. He, I don't know, you know, of course that works in his advantage because he's getting more swings and misses too. Uh, uh, but it's, he just needs to find that, that black. Uh, he needs to find the black of the zone with two strikes uh, and in a pitcher's count uh, rather than wasting pitches. That, that, that'll go a long way with him. So what you're telling me is start him wherever Julio Rodriguez is. Yeah, do it. Yeah, start all these guys. Uh, no pitchers in any other <laughs> spot other than wherever Julio's at. All right. Uh, so the second of the confounding three then is Jake Walsh at 22nd on your list. Yeah. Uh, he's another fastball curveball guy, right? Yeah, fastball curve. That's it for him. Just fastball curve. 
Okay, I keep thinking that Walsh was out of the same draft as Ralston and a couple of the other righties, but he was actually a 2017 pick. Yeah. Um, so he's spent more time in the system than the others. He was quite good out of the pen this year. Uh, went to the Arizona Fall League, really struggled there. Does he have any injury troubles because his innings just don't seem to add up, as you'd hope, out of a guy here on the list? Uh, yeah, I, real, I know real. you Go ahead. No, I was going to say, with uh, with Walsh on the AFL, he – he had like one bad relief appearance early and then one bad relief appearance late and that tanked his stats. But uh, we, I heard a lot of positive reviews about what people saw out of Jake Walsh in AFL. Um, and then, yeah, he's always dealt with injuries. That's been the the knock on him. He lost all of 2019 to injury, man. Yeah. He was good in 2018, lost all of 2019 to injury. Uh, yeah, Except for one, one, like, one and two thirds, one and two thirds innings, two games. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, and then got off to a, a rocket heart hot start pitching out of the bullpen for uh, Springfield. He was the organization's pitcher of the, the month in May uh, and was good for a month and a half or two months or something like that. Uh, one of the best, most promising relief pitchers in the organization and then got hurt again. Um, I had heard conflicting reports about what exactly was going on and I won't elaborate any further than that. But when he came back, uh, it took him a second to kind of get going, and he was kind of throwing maybe an increased amount of balls, but he was still really good because of how that fastball and how that curve work off of each other. And that curve does not – hitters do not pick it up. Uh, the easiest way to put it is that hitters do not pick it up. It gets a ton of swing and misses. It's, you know, a 20, 2,600 RPM pitch uh, that uh, lefties and righties can't square up. So I know you don't like to put relievers this high, but yeah. even a rube like myself could see like in your piece uh, with with the tweets that you embed and all that. I feel like his fastball and curveball just play really well off each other. Does does he have a slider change anything as well to to make it more of that fantastic combo out of the bullpen or no? He does have a change. He doesn't throw it very often. He did work on it a little bit in the AFL. Uh, maybe that was part of the reason why some of his uh, results weren't pretty, but. Yeah, that's uh, he's basically just fastball, fastball curve. Uh, you know, there were times during the season, and there weren't, there wasn't a whole lot of innings where it's there weren't a whole lot of innings. Uh, but it seemed like he would throw a cur or, or change up. But I just, I think that he was just slowing down his fastball. As crazy as that sounds. Okay. Uh, he, to me, if he's at double A and going to the AFL. Seems to me the Cardinals think he's close to MLB ready. Uh, did they protect him in the Rule 5 draft? Yeah, he's on the 40-man. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, I think you've already basically touched on this, but but so high on your list despite being a reliever just because the results are there when he does it and the and the pitch shape and the and the and all that is there when he's healthy. Um, would he be a fast mover for you just because you got to catch him while he is healthy? I think he should get a chance to pitch for the major league team out of the bullpen to start the season if the Cardinals don't make any additions. Uh, him and Freddie Pacheco, who we'll talk about in the next podcast, uh, the, both of those guys, they're both on the 40-man. They were both just protected. And there isn't, there aren't like a ton of – I like a lot of the arms uh, that the Cardinals have in the bullpen. Uh, there's a lot of question marks about those guys and a lot of options that come with those question marks. Uh, you know, I love Alex Reyes. I love – uh, 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 Jordan Hicks. I love uh, Cody Whitley. I love uh, all of these guys, but the only one who doesn't have options for the minor leagues is uh, TJ McFarland. 
So every single one of these guys, including Alex Reyes, uh, including Jordan Hicks, every one of these guys should should be battling for a bullpen spot, and that includes Walsh and Pacheco. And uh, the Cardinals are dumb. If they don't add any more arms, they are dumb to not go into spring training with that, other than Giovanni Gallegos. Uh, he's the only one, unless he's terrible, unless he has diminished velocity. And uh, uh, But Gallegos is fun to bring up here because – there's something about the way that Walsh and Gallegos both throw that like makes me think that they're better than what they are. Like I remember when the Cardinals traded for Giovanni Gallegos, you and I were talking and I couldn't understand how the guy was good at triple a. I I just couldn't understand it. Like you'd watch him throw and you'd be like, I I don't quite understand how Gallegos is getting guys out. And it's kind of the same thing with Jake Walsh because you know he's either going to throw the fastball or the curveball. And the reason is because he tunnels those pitches perfectly and they come from the same arm slot with incredible arm speed and hitters just can't pick it up. Triple uh, A hitters, and sure, he might struggle with the major leagues at first, but I bet major league hitters have trouble with it too, both lefties and righties. I, I, I hate when other people do this, so I hate myself for saying this, but Mario, Mario, Mariano Rivera just threw the cutter, man. I mean, and mm-hmm. you knew it was coming, and and I mean, you you didn't even have to look and peek at the signs or or ask him. He could have screamed it from the mound, cutter, <laughs> and he, people couldn't hit it. And I don't want to compare Jake Walsh to a surefire like relief pitcher Hall of Famer, but yeah, but you know, the I, first ever yeah, unanimous Hall of Famer, right? <laughs> you know, it's it, but it's one of those things like you, you got guys who people just can't hit, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, real fast. To, to your question, though, um, this is where like the evaluation of it all comes in, is I have been very reluctant to add minor league relief pitchers to the dirty uh, in any capacity that we've ever done the dirty. But, you know, going back to teaching and learning, you have to be humble and I and you have to learn. And now we're as at one point when I first started really getting into prospects 20 years ago or whatever. And throughout the years, a minor league relief pitcher didn't matter at all. They were just covering innings. Very few of those guys ever really had a chance to make it to the majors. And if they did, they were super elite and were just like automatically like in a closer role and were running with the closer role. Uh, Like the 1% of minor league relievers or whatever it was, that's changed now. Players are being developed as relief pitchers, as the relief role uh, uh, develops and molds and becomes more important uh, at the major league level. So if, if I don't take note of that, and if I don't amend my list, then I am failing you uh, and I'm failing myself. Uh, and really what we're trying to do when we're narrowing down these prospects is tell you about guys who are going to make a major league debut. They're going to make, uh, or have a potential to make a major league impact. So if you're talking about specifically with Pacheco and Jake Walsh here, guys that have a legitimate chance to make a real major league impact. And, uh, that's why I have to include them. All right, another guy that we think might make a major league impact very soon is is the the third of the group of pitchers that we're talking about, the third of the group of right-handers. At number 21, you've got Andre Payante, and he's the one who we teased earlier, Went also went to the AFL and, and was much more uh, successful there than Jake Walsh was, although you kind of corrected me on that and said Walsh's was mainly two outings. Um. Payante was um, drafted in 2019 along with Ralston, who we talked about at 23. Um, he was from UC Irving as opposed to UCLA. He's another one who had a bunch of Ks, was good on walks in college, but since coming to the Cardinals, 
Seems as though his walk rate continues to rise while his strikeout rate seems to stay fairly constant. The Cardinals do seem to like him more in the starter role, but I'm a bit worried about the walk rate. Uh, and if I'm allowed to tease something here since we've been doing it all night anyway, um, you make a lot of references to Gordon Graceffo, who he'll be on the next episode too, along with who we mentioned earlier. Um, why the comparisons between those two? Tell us more about Peante and then tell us about uh, why, why make those comparisons or if you'd rather save that for Graceffo's piece, we can do that. Up to you. Oh, no, it's just uh, it's an easy and lazy thing to do more than anything. You know, I, I know it's, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit different, but, uh, you know, Peante was a, a, a fourth round pick. Graceffo is a fifth round pick. Uh, you know, they're, they're both... Uh, similar pitchers where it's, you know, Graceffo was from Villanova. He's a little bit older. Um, but I think, like, for me, part of the reason why it's – or not, you know, like, older at draft time kind of thing. Uh, it, it's – to me, it's just an easy thing to do because I, I think people would be surprised that I have Gordon Graceffo higher than I do, especially when I've practiced so much um, caution with, like, Austin Love. But what I like about Graceffo is – his command. Uh, and, and when you look at Graceffo and when you look at Peante, there are a lot of similarities. I mean, there really are, you know, uh, uh, they both have the same similar velocity. Um, you know, uh, uh, Pe- Andre Peante is like mid nineties, low nineties kind of pitcher uh, who can top out in like 97, 98. He made noise in Arizona cause, uh, he hit 99 on the radar gun. Although that data was a little bit inaccurate. It was like, again, uh, uh, you know, narrow margin. You're talking about like one mile an hour difference. Uh, a little, but a little bit of a hot gun in the AFL every year. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. As as it is during the season, he hit. He almost hit 99. So you know, it's worth keeping that in mind. Uh, but the problem is that pitch doesn't get a whole lot of swings and miss. And part of the reason is because he doesn't really command it particularly well. You know, part of the reason why uh, Andre Pellante is getting a lot of play right now and why he's going to end up being up on the Baseball America list in their top 15 and why uh, he got serious consideration for the top 10 uh, and why everyone else is kind of – and the Cardinals, you'll hear the Cardinals as they enter spring training talk about him having a potential to make a major league impact and being a name on a rise and hit 99 in the Arizona Fall League and he hit 98, uh, high 98 uh, during the season. Um the data is there. It's not there in like a really loud and uh, uh, crazy way. Again, you know, 95 mile an hour fastball, um, good major league average ish spin, you know, uh, same thing goes with the slider and curve, but that's, that's where it gets really interesting with him is he has the two breaking pitches and the curveball and the slider that, that get good swing and miss. And he creates a lot of deception and he keeps hitters off balance but he just doesn't throw enough strikes. And to me, the difference in between uh, uh, Andre Peante and Gordon Graceffo is that Peante, I think, I think Gordon Graceffo is better at throwing strikes. And with a couple pitches in his, um, uh, in his slider and changeup that I think are going to get a lot of swings and misses. Uh, and, you know, the other thing about Graceffo is Graceffo is a five-pitch pitcher. He throws a fastball, a two-seam, a curveball, a slider, a changeup. And, uh, you know, a fastball that can't hit 98 but lives 95. And uh, a, a, a two-seamer that has a similar type of uh, a pitch uh, speeds and a uh, good spin on all of his stuff. Uh, so that's, that's like, that's a comparison there. I don't want to go too far down the Graceffo line. 
because right, you know, right. I'll gush over him because he's he's like I think I think he's a diamond in the rough here. Um, I, I say diamond in the rough. I, I I think he's a potentially a diamond, not even in the rough. I want I want to go all Aladdin there, a diamond in the rough. Um, yeah, there we go. So back to Andre Payante. Mm-hmm. Looking at his stats and listening to what you're saying, something that popped out to me this year was uh, at Double A in 94 innings a 59.1% ground ball rate. And then when he got to triple A after double A, he threw only five innings, but a 57.9% ground ball rate. Yeah. Hard sinker, slider curve, huge ground ball rate, deep into games, iffy command. Is he Dakota Hudson-esque? Yeah, potentially. I, hmm. It's tough to say. Yeah, like I, I could see that. I could see that. I think the difference is the curveball, right? Like I think, um, I think that third pitch. <laughs> All right, let me take a couple steps back. I don't like Dakota Hudson. I've never been a Dakota Hudson fan. I don't think he's a particularly good pitcher. I think that he'll get away with being better than what he actually is with the St. Louis Cardinals, and that's fine. I think Payante has a chance to be better than Dakota Hudson. Uh, I don't know if Payante has the strike zone the ability to throw strikes that dakota hudson has it doesn't mean that he's not going to have a higher strike rate which i know is it's like in conflicting it conflicts with each other but i think where dakota hudson gets away is i don't think he has good command i think he throws pitches over the plate that have the run and the movement that hitters put into the ground where i think payante uh while his curveball has good life while his slider has good life while his fastball uh which is a four seam it's not even a two seam believe it or not why his his uh, his fastball uh, gets hitters putting the ball on the ground is I think of where he throws it more than anything uh, and the late life on all those pitches uh, and and I think that that gets the ball into the ground I don't I don't think he's going to be that kind of pitcher in that regard but I do think that there's a chance that if he can hone his command a little bit better that he can be every bit as good of a starting pitcher at the major league level as Dakota Hudson has been but without the smoke and mirrors that come with what Dakota Hudson has done with smoke and mirrors okay all right but there's variables right. there so, and that's what that's you know when the Cardinals drafted Dakota Hudson and I put him on the dirty 30 at the time Dakota Hudson was a top 10 prospect uh the the variables are the practical application so far and uh Dakota Hudson's ability to or inability to maybe throw strikes at the minor league level uh, was counterbalanced by uh, an inability to get hit hard. And Payante got hit hard. Uh, the, the other the other half of the story about Payante is he got off to a great start at Double A and then struggled at Double A. Uh, struggled with his command, struggled with his mechanics, and and a lot of times his defense let him down. He was like the only pitcher where the defense let him down because the defense at Double A was pretty good. Uh, including Delvin Perez. I was like, all of a sudden, whatever cue balls were coming off of the bat from Andre Payante, Delvin Perez just couldn't handle. Uh, not to like beat up on Delvin Perez, but uh, the the season in general, you could tell that by the time Payante took his like month-long break uh, in, in August, I guess it would have been the, the end of July, beginning of August, through the middle of August, or whenever Payante took his little break, um, you could tell he was tired and like exhausted. Uh, exhausted, gotcha. tired. So we got we got the break. Worked on his mechanics, got his uh, velocity back up because his velocity was starting to dip, and uh, it was a strong end to the season. If he could, it was a strong end of the season. He just needs to continue to work on his command uh, and getting people to swing at his stuff or continue to pound it into the ground instead of throwing balls. 
Interesting, because I feel like most of the Cardinals organization and the minors, the pitching, started the season terribly and finished stronger. But I was listening to MLB Pipeline podcast with um, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo and somebody else whose name I can't remember now. And they were saying most of the minor leagues this year across baseball seem to be more like Payante, where the pitching was ahead at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to to hear that he was on that route more of than what the rest of the Cardinals seem to be on yeah, the route that's interesting. of. So. That just stuck out to me because I literally listened to that several hours ago. So, yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's an, that's an interesting tidbit. I have to tell you, just watching, uh, even against the Cardinals, and maybe it was because of how bad the pitching was. I felt the opposite. Uh, I felt that <laughs> the pitching across the board was better than than the hitting was. Uh, but that's that's where it's tough, right? Because if you're looking at numbers, the numbers might tell you something different. When in actuality, if you're paying attention to like the high end guys, the guys who might end up making it, that might be a completely different story. Um, yeah. But uh, that's just me. All right, cool. Well, if you have nothing more tonight, I believe we are uh, about out of information to pass on to listeners about these five. Next time, uh, we've already teased, we will get to Gordon Graceffo. We will get to another pitcher you talked about. I can't remember who. Uh, and and three others. So mm. we are officially halfway through the Dirty Flirty. Congratulations. Well done. Um, and I can't wait to talk about this front half of the Dirty Flirty with you. And hopefully we can, we, we've kind of talked about this already on here. Hopefully we can get Stu in here to, uh, to join us the next couple of times to make this an even livelier uh, group. As for me and Kyle, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Um, we will be back as soon as possible, hopefully getting all eight of these out before Christmas. Have a wonderful night.